Hello, Mum. Hey, Tess. How you doing, honey? I'm great. How are you? Good. I'm feeling so in the wintry, Christmassy spirit. Guess what I was doing with Dad last night? Building a snowman. Uh, well, that would have been really fun, but second best, we were making mince pies. Which for, um, I don't think that's a thing in America, and the first time I said mince pies to someone, they thought I meant like minced meat. Yes, it's definitely a British tradition which we want to keep going. For the listeners, they have pastry casing, and then things like sultanas and raisins and stuff inside. They're completely delicious, and most Americans are horrified by the notion. Yes, and also sultanas, I think, are golden raisins here. Well, thank you. I didn't know that. Last week I did some jargon busting, I believe, with gutted, and so thank you for um, you doing your turn this week. I find it quite interesting that we both speak English, but then we have we have very different words for some things, which is quite funny. So I think that might be one of them. Whatever we call them, Americans don't seem super keen on them. So I'm trying my desperate best to keep the British traditions going, even if it's only Dad and myself who get to enjoy them. But I have given up on the Christmas cake. Yeah, the fruit cake. Yeah, the fruit cake. Is that because it just tastes absolutely terrible? <laughs> It is totally delicious. What couldn't Don't you love <laughs> about fruitcake covered in marzipan and then covered in frosting? It's the best thing ever. Honestly, Mum, I think Britain did a lot of bad stuff in the world in, in terms of taking over everybody and lots of wars and stuff. So I, I think this is a payback is that we have the absolute worst Christmas oh, food. No! Oh, I'm horrified by this. Sorry, you could take that out. That was quite an aggressive statement from me. <laughs> Well, the sad thing is that, yes, I love the Christmas cake and Dad loves the Christmas cake, but as we can't feed it to anybody else, we put on about £10 each in a week just by eating Christmas cake, so that's had to go until I can find other people who love it also. I think you're going to have to go back to Britain to find those people, Mum. I think I probably am. So, Tess, people, if they listened last week, already know what we're going to talk about today, but shall we get to it? Yes, I am so excited about this because my friends have been asking me this constantly and I've been now getting so many TikToks about it so I need to know the truth mother that's why you're here as the detective for us well remind us Tess what's our topic today it is CMOS I knew nothing about CMOS when you dropped it on me last week but I have to tell you, I have had a fascinating, I was going to say journey down the rabbit hole, but would it be journey to the depths of the ocean? Finding out about CMOS, but uh, more about that in a minute. First of all, you tell me, why did you want us to talk about CMOS? So I had been hearing about it a lot more as of the last month or so, but interestingly, when we were talking about melatonin last week, I looked it up to see how many videos had been viewed with the hashtag melatonin, and it was either 1.2 or 1.3 billion. So then out of curiosity, I typed in CMOS to see how many views that hashtag had gotten, and it was also 1.2 or 1.3 billion. So I was like, well, hang on a second, people are talking about this just as much as they're talking about melatonin. I think we need to dig into this a little bit. It's incredible, Tess. I mean, melatonin I had heard about partly because of it's something I teach about, but also because I knew so many people were using it. I mentioned to you lots of my students were using it, but I'd never heard about CMOS. So with 1.3 billion views, Tess, what is it about CMOS that people are interested in? Why do they think it might be worth taking? Well, to be honest with you, I, I don't even really fully know. There's so many videos out there. I, th I think even Kim Kardashian was taking it. And I think sometimes with these things, you hear about it so much and it's so kind of in the zeitgeist, but you don't actually know 
if it works or what it's even claiming to do. That's interesting, Tess. In a moment, we'll talk about science of some particular benefits, some particular functions which might be affected by CMOS. But I agree. It seemed that on TikTok, people use these terms like, you'll feel better, you'll be more healthy. And that's very vague, isn't it? That's what I was seeing a lot of too, of like, oh, this is going to change your life. And I'm like, how? How is it going to change your life? What is it doing? <laughs> well, let's get to then my search process test because we said with this podcast that we want to be pretty open about we don't know everything and that absolutely we have to look things up and we want to try and encourage people and help people into how they can successfully search for things and not go down perhaps rabbit holes created by people who are sounding very useful, sounding very authoritative, but perhaps don't have good credit in this field. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah, absolutely. I think we want to give people the tools to practice safe search. Boom, boom. I love it. Right. Safe searching. This is how I did it. So as I mentioned last week, I had no idea about CMOS. So the first thing that I did, which is what we're all going to do, is I'm going to Google it. And I see that for the most part, when we're talking about CMOS, we're actually talking about seaweed. So that's probably the term I'm going to use as we go through this conversation here, because it trips off my tongue a little bit more easily. So I asked Google about CMOS. I found out that CMOS is typically called seaweed and Google threw up a whole load of things. But the first one that I thought that looked interesting was, yep. It was WebMD. Now, I know that WebMD has a bit of a bad rap because people say things like, well, I looked at WebMD about my headaches and it told me I could have a brain tumour. And yeah, that is the case. But to be fair to WebMD, what it normally does is it gives you the common causes for headaches, for example, the less common causes. And then right at the bottom, it'll say there's a very, very small possibility you could have a brain tumour. And those are the parts that people tend to listen to. So I would not discount WebMD as a source. Certainly a jumping off point when I was trying to investigate something. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think WebMD is probably covering the tracks a little bit, right? So that you can't say, well, I looked it up and it just said I have a headache. I agree with you there, Tess. In this particular search, I was reading on WebMD about seaweed and I noticed, and I hadn't seen this before, but I noticed right at the bottom of the page was a source tab. So I clicked and you get all of the papers, all of the research that WebMD is actually referring to, which is really handy. Now, unfortunately, it didn't give the way to find all of these sources. It didn't give links, for example. But if I cut and pasted the title of these different pieces of research, if I cut and pasted those then into Google, I could find research articles. So the WebMD gave me a good overview, but then I was able to look at the research that they had looked at. And this was really useful because there was one terrific review paper that they quoted, which I'll put at the bottom of the show notes, which led me then to a whole load of other areas of research. I love it. I loved it too. I had such fun tests. I know I sound like I'm in nerd heaven. No, you don't sound like you're in nerd heaven. You sound like an anatomy, biology, physiologist. (laughs) Well, good. I can live with that. So the first thing I think we should think about if we're considering seaweed as part of our diet from now on is that it's providing three types of chemicals. So let's start off with macronutrients. Thoughts? Um, Really big nutrients. Absolutely. Really big we need them in large amounts in our diet. So the classic macronutrients, carbohydrates, fats and proteins. And seaweed, gram for gram, has as much protein in it as a steak. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. You, you tell me if you eat how much seaweed, it gives you much protein as a... Ah, so that's interesting that you ask me that. So I'm telling you that gram for gram or ounce for ounce 
there's as much protein in seaweed as there is in steak. Oh, so I'm going to have to eat a steak's worth of seaweed. Aha. So if you ate a four ounce steak, which would not be a big steak, if you ate four ounces of seaweed, you could quite possibly, it actually does depend on the variety of seaweed, but you could quite possibly get as much protein. But four ounces of seaweed, that's going to be a lot of seaweed. And most people would find that pretty tricky to eat. So how are you eating it? Are you just getting a chunk of seaweed like a chunk of lettuce? I'm not a seaweed eater but I believe that there are lots of different ways of of cooking seaweed and in fact actually it's a traditional Welsh food to eat seaweed something called lava bread. In Japan and other countries like Korea lots of seaweed is eaten sometimes dried but other times in more of a raw form so I think the answer is that there are lots of different ways to eat seaweed but to eat seaweed in four ounce, five ounce, six ounces amount is going to take a lot of eating. Okay, so we know it's got lots of protein in it, but it might not be as enjoyable as eating a, a whole steak. That's a good way of putting it, yes. So that's our macronutrient benefit, if you like, of seaweed. Next, then we get to micronutrients. So micronutrients? Little tiny nutrients. <laughs> some of them are little tiny nutrients some of them are just elements they're not even molecules they're just little atoms of things but in terms of using the word micro what we mean here is that we need them in very small amounts in grams or milligram amounts instead of pounds and ounces what do you think might be an example of a micronutrient think about something that you know that you need to eat in really tiny amounts it's part of your diet and you probably don't even think about eating it um, iron? Yes! Was oh, that right? Yes! Oh, nice. Right, you're on a roll. Go for another. Um, vitamin B? Oh, it's like I gave you the script. So, <laughs> absolutely. Do you want to do, you know, we're two for two now. Do you want to get a third one? How about, think bones? Calcium. Calcium. So, these are all things that it's super important. We can't live without them, but we need them in very tiny amounts, hence the micro. So, yes, iron, calcium, magnesium, zinc. It seems like different varieties of seaweed have lots of these. Vitamin B12. Vitamin B12 is very hard to get from non meat sources. So if vegans are struggling with their diet, vitamin B12 is one of the things that it's very easy for them to not have enough of. And turns out there's lots of vitamin B12 in several different varieties of seaweed. That does seem like a benefit of seaweed. These micronutrients, calcium, older women, younger women, all women, in fact, need to make sure they're getting enough calcium to look after their skeleton. Magnesium, magnesium's all over the news at the moment in reference to its usefulness, perhaps in sleep. So seaweed appears to be pretty rich in all of these things. That's rather great. Iodine, it seems to have lots of iodine and that could be really good because we all need iodine for our thyroid gland function. It might not be so great. And in fact, seaweed is not recommended for pregnant women because there's too much iodine in it and that might cause a problem with a developing fetus. So that's our first little negative point I would suggest. That's interesting because quite a few things we've talked about in this podcast have been okay but not for pregnant women. We have to think about that growing fetus, lots of cellular activity going on, lots of cells, lots of organs being made. It's a risky time for an organism. For us, we're fully made. Yes, cells break down, we have to make new cells, but our basic structure is, is made. When we are talking about growing a new human, it's likely that 
new developing humans are more susceptible to chemicals in a way that fully formed even children but certainly adults are less susceptible okay that makes sense so my last one was bioactive elements want to take a guess at this one um elements that are activated by biology oh Yes, I'm just going to flip that slightly and say instead of it being elements that are activated biology, I'm going to say it's elements that activate biology. In other words, we think that in seaweed there are various chemicals that might change our biology and it could be changing our biology in a positive way. Do you happen to know what one third of all humans are thought to develop during their lifetime? Um, a poor attitude. <laughs> I think that just might kidding, be more than kidding. one third. Um, what are what are most people develop? I mean, what do we um, wear the pink ribbons for? Oh no! Don't tell me cancer. Yeah. Okay. So it's about one third of people are thought to develop cancer during their lifetime. Most of them will be over the age of sixty-five. It's definitely a disease that's associated with aging. But way, woohoo! There is evidence to suggest that ingesting seaweed or certain extracts from seaweed there's research to show that it may decrease the risk of certain cancers like breast cancer like stomach and colon cancer there's some evidence to show that seaweed or seaweed extracts might reduce cholesterol blood cholesterol and we worry about that with reference to heart disease so that's all very positive wouldn't you say so far these macronutrients micronutrients and these bioactive elements make it sound pretty tempting yeah absolutely so how do they actually know about this stuff? Like, how can they tell you confidently that it has those benefits? That is a great question. Because we see these things on TikTok or all over the place. Does this, does that? And that's exactly the question we need to ask. You know, well, how do we know that? There are essentially three types of research that have gone on here. We've got great big studies. There was one in Japan that looked at 80,000 people. It looked at their diet and it showed that people who ate seaweed were less likely to have heart disease, so more likely to live longer. So that's a great big study, but it couldn't actually tell us that it was seaweed that's doing that because what they noticed about the people eating in Japan was that yes they were eating a lot of seaweed but they were also eating a lot less dairy they were eating less meat less saturated fat so it's difficult to say oh it's exactly the seaweed that's causing the benefit does that make sense yeah I was just thinking that actually because for it to like be a really good study you'd think they'd have to have only one variable they're changing which is the seafood and everything else would have to stay the same whereas it's quite hard to do that because like you said that there's many ways that people living in this area might live differently than we do here in America. Exactly so what you're talking about there is that this is a piece of what's called epidemiological research it's sometimes called a natural experiment the scientist isn't controlling anything the scientist isn't saying hey we want you to eat this and we want you to eat that the scientists are just collecting the data and looking for correlations and they'd be quite honest about that they're looking for correlations and then that encourages them to do research to try and find out well which one of the factors in the diet might be really causing the benefit which would be our causation of course yes that makes sense so you've got your great big studies in Japan, then you've got, for instance, in Korea, and I'm presuming a lot of this research is done in Japan and Korea because they naturally eat a lot of seaweed. Apparently, one in five meals in Japan contains seaweed. Who knew? Well, actually, sushi is wrapped in seaweed, isn't it? 
quite possibly. I do my best to avoid that stuff. I'm terrible because I've never tried it, which is shameful of me, but the idea of the raw fish is just horrifying. Oh, it's so good, Mum. You're missing out. I know. You and Dad love it, so I'll have to try it. So going back to Korea, they've got some similarly sized studies like that that looked at this general correlation type effect. But they also have produced a few studies on maybe 10 or 20 people where they have, for example, looked at people's cholesterol, given them extract of seaweed, looked at their cholesterol levels six weeks later after this seaweed rich diet and seen some positive effects seen their levels of cholesterol go down human studies now the scientists are getting involved but 10 or 20 people yeah we need much bigger data groups than that yeah i see you're saying there so if we've got our humans then obviously we've got our not human studies believe it or not worms are pretty useful in this you can give worms chemicals that will give them Parkinson's disease. Oh, just before we carry on, are you familiar with Parkinson's disease? Yes, I think a guy from Back to the Future, Robert, Robert J. Fox. Yes, Robert J. Fox. When we think about Parkinson's disease, we're thinking about people who have tremors, but also they can have real stiffness. So there can be too much movement and too little movement in their lives. Well, if you give these worms drugs that will give them Parkinson's disease, at the same time as you are giving them certain seaweed extracts, guess what? They don't get Parkinson's disease. Oh, interesting. That is pretty crazy, isn't it? So it's in worms, okay, not terribly like humans, except that the worms do have the same kind of nerve cells in them that humans have in their brain that are involved in Parkinson's disease. So, yep, it's a worm, but it's got some similarities, unbelievably, to humans. Very interesting indeed. And then finally, the last type of research that we've got, and this is the type that we have the most of, and this is what we call in vitro research. Any idea what that might mean? Oh, yes, because in vitro is IVF, so in, in the womb or something? Ah, yes. So IVF would be in vitro fertilisation. Um, where does the egg meet the sperm in IVF? In the woman. Well, actually, no. Oh, 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 they mix it. Yes, they, they mix it out like in a lab, right? And then they implant it. Yes, exactly. In vitro literally means in glass because they used to do everything in glass petri dishes and glass tubes and everything. So that's where that term comes from. So anytime you see research that says it's done in vitro, that's telling you it's not done in humans. It's not done in animals. It's done essentially in a petri dish. OK, got it. So there is tons of stuff tons of stuff that says if you take this extract of seaweed and you drip it on cells in a petri dish good things happen but that's not necessarily scalable to whole humans what happens to individual cells in a petri dish whole humans whole organisms might behave quite differently and at the moment we have lots of that type of research the type of research which is furthest really from being applicable to whole humans okay interesting so it's it's got some good stuff, but nothing we can really like rely on 100%. I think that's the case. So we have a couple of other things to think about. One is that there are lots of different types of seaweed. And even if you have the same type of seaweed, the same species of seaweed, you're eating this red moss seaweed. I forget what it's called now. It's got some fancy Latin name. Um, Chondrus crispus, I think it is. Even if you ate that today, next month and six months time, depending on where your chondrus crispus was grown, depending on when it was harvested, the content of these micronutrients, bioactive elements, macronutrients can be totally different. So it's not like 
when people are growing things in fields or cows where they can regulate the diet? You're right, absolutely. That's a great example because when you are in charge of the agriculture or you are growing the cows, you control what goes in and therefore you get a pretty standard product out. That's not the case with seaweed when we're harvesting it typically from growing wild. So that's the first thing. It's difficult to assess the benefits because the variability in the seaweed product can be enormous. I see. It's not well regulated currently. It's not well regulated because we're not actually farming this stuff. Now, maybe we might be in the future, but if we're just collecting it from wherever we can find it, then it's not going to be consistent. So seaweed is currently being regulated as much as regular weed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't wish to put myself forward as an expert on the regulation of either of those types of seaweed, but I think you might be right. One of the last things that I want to finish up with here is I want to use an interesting word which weirdly is going to tie back to something that you were talking to us about last week. Do you remember you were talking to us about the fact that when it comes to being an influencer, well for anybody who wasn't listening last week, tell us what's more important, the number of followers you have or the engagement. Aha, so just explain a little bit more. So somebody with you know a million followers might have a lot of eyes on their post, but their audience might not be particularly engaged where someone who's maybe got five or 10,000 followers, but they like interact with them a lot and and that audience is really engaged. Those people might actually be a better audience because they might be more likely to purchase whatever the influencer's recommending or something like that. Guess what? We have a sort of similar concept in the human body. Surprising. Really? Really. When we talk about nutrients, we can talk about something called their bioavailability. And what that means is when we put the nutrient, when we eat it and it goes into our intestines, how much of that nutrient is actually going to make it out of our guts and into our bloodstream where it can be utilised? A nutrient that is 100% bioavailable, then 100% of it gets out of the gut and is engaged, is actively following, actively doing what we want it to do. Whereas some nutrients are not very bioavailable. So we put them into the gut and most of it we just get pooped out. So lots of nutrient coming in, lots of nutrient going out in our poop, not much of it engaging, not much of it getting into our bloodstream. Oh, so are you going to say that there's a potential that you eat the stuff and you just sort of poop it out without the nutrients ever doing anything? That's exactly what I'm going to say. So the potential is certainly with some nutrients and some varieties of seaweed, it could be that there are tons of followers coming in, you're eating lots of the nutrients, but those nutrients aren't very engaged, they're not getting out of your gut and they're not getting into your bloodstream, they're just heading out in the poop. What we're saying here then is that just because a particular brand or type of seaweed is really rich in a particular nutrient doesn't mean that that nutrient is available to the body. That nutrient might just be being pooped out. Okay, gotcha. So when we take into account the types of research we've got, the variability in the types of seaweed, whether the seaweed is actually really rich in something but it might not be able to get into the body, all of these things mean it's still a very confusing story. Based on all of this, Tess, you normally ask me, but based on all of this, what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in using? What would you be asking yourself if you were considering buying a seaweed supplement or putting seaweed into your diet? Well, based on everything we talked about today, my thing I think would be the price of it, because it sounds like it won't hurt 
and it might help but we don't know how much because some of those nutrients could be just going in and going right back out so if it's at an accessible price point maybe it's worth a shot but if it's going to be super expensive then it might not be worth my time right now. I think that's a pretty good assessment. I think one thing I'd add to that is I would probably stick with trying to consume seaweed as part of my diet so that it's not been overly processed. And the reason I say this is there's lots of evidence that says we absorb vitamins and minerals much better from foods than from supplements. So eating seaweed as part of your diet, like many, many Japanese and Korean people do, probably isn't going to cause you any harm. And you're probably going to get the best bang for your buck when it turns to absorption of the goodies. Well, that's good to know. So I would say a shrug to a thumbs up. Yeah, I would say this is one that I would look at fairly positively. And you know what? If you like the taste of it, you've almost got nothing to lose. Well, that is super interesting. Thank you very much for doing all that research. Um, and I, I like that we've talked a little bit about the ways that you did find that research so that other people can hopefully look at some stuff on their own time as well. Well, thank you, Tess. And I have to say, I really did enjoy this one. It's funny when something is so enormous, as you said, and I had absolutely no idea of it. So I guess I should be looking at TikTok a little more often then. You know, I would like to say yes, but I also would like to encourage you to not fall into the black <laughs> hole or dive into the deep sea that is TikTok. So <laughs> I think you might be right there. Now, listen, lovely, I feel ever so sorry for you. We we didn't say, but you're not very well today, are you? Yes, I have yet to figure out if it's just the cedar or the allergies in Austin, which everyone does complain about quite a lot, or if I'm just unlucky and I've been getting sick quite a lot lately, but I am a little bit snuffly. I was just about to say, I'm going to hope for the best here. But I don't know quite what the best is, whether it's best for you to have a cold, which is over in a couple of days, or whether it's allergies. But actually, allergies could go on for months. So I'm going to hope it's a cold. Well, I, I do usually like to go for long runs on Saturdays. So I'm really hoping that in the next hour or so, I'll get a little bit less snuffly and then I can go for a run. Well, I like that thought. So I'm sending you positive vibes. And do we know what we're going to talk about next week? Should we keep it a surprise? I say we keep it a surprise. But as always, if people have topics they want to talk about or questions you can reach us through our website at wtotpod.com or on our instagram the who told you that podcast brilliant all right feel better thanks ma'am love you love you two puds bye-bye thanks for tuning in and as a reminder our conversation here aims to pass along some interesting science and help you develop your sciencey thinking muscles neither of us are medical doctors or any type of healthcare professional So we're absolutely not providing medical advice. You should see your medically qualified professional for that. And whilst all content provided is given in good faith, based on the scientific knowledge base available at the time of recording, if we misspeak or further research changes our understanding or that of the scientific community, we'll try our best to make any necessary corrections, either in a future episode or in our show notes. See See you next time. time!